this second talk um, is um, based on some people's question when we were discussing themes for the sheet of why bother talking about the monks um, or the desert for um, for this group when most of you are not monks or nuns or will ever be. Um, but it's still extremely relevant, so I wanted to devote one lecture to that of why do we even bother talking about the desert to begin with, um, with a focus largely on um, discipleship, because that's like the, the biggest thing that we learned from the, the desert. Uh, so I'm just going to start off with a quote, uh, everything for the most part I'm trying to take from Life of Antony, there might be some things that are not, um, or from his disciples today, some of the current monks or hermits. Um, I should have liked to speak no further and to say nothing from my own promptings, satisfied with what I have said, but lest you should think that I speak at random and believe that I detail these things without experience or truth. For this cause, even though I should become as a fool, yet the Lord who hears knows the clearness of my conscience, that it is not for my own sake, but an account. <laughs> Diabolic warfare. <laughs> Um, but on account of your affection toward me and at your petition that I again tell you that I saw the practices of evil spirits. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> a live demonstration. And there's, um, so I wanted to emphasize that he says not at random, okay, and that at the prompting of God um, that he tells them his own experience because... Um, I mean, some of the HRC, I'm sorry to you guys who I can hear some things that we've said again, but I'm going to start off with a different tone, is um, how much uh, at random we are, right? And how much we value our own experience when often we're woefully ignorant. Um, and that we, we should not be practicing something without experience. We should not be instructing people without experience. And we should not be taking instruction from somebody without experience. So what the desert has going for it, why the desert is this discipleship and discernment that, um, that the desert offers us. That there's a certain benefit you get from seclusion um, that gives you a certain amount of, of knowledge, right? If we look at the debates that um, Alba Antony had with the philosophers, for example, um, these are things that you don't get by being loudmouthed. Right, like a person who's walking around and is talking all the time and chilling and, and social media, whatever. I'm not saying that those things are intrinsically wrong. What I'm saying is that if you're never divorced from that, you are never ever going to come to these thoughts. You're never going to receive this kind of knowledge. Right? Even Anthony, when he was living in the city, didn't arrive at that. Right? It was something that he got that as he progressed more and more inwardly, that more and more was revealed to him. This is why St. Anthony is known very well for one of his sayings of, he who knows himself knows God. Right, is that the person who, who goes inward because we're in the image and likeness of God um, comes to discover God by discovering himself and by battling. This, that, that saying could be five lectures on its own. But, um, so what ended up developing through the desert is this concept of, of the Abba. Right? And this is, this is what monasticism is. There is no such thing as a monastic life without discipleship. It doesn't exist. Right? If you go to a place where there is not an Abba, they can dress you up as a monk, but you're not a monk. 
Okay, a monk, being a monk means being a disciple. The two are intrinsically related and has nothing to do with priesthood, it has nothing to do with sacramentals. It is purely a relationship of someone with experience to somebody who has lesser experience. That's why there is no priesthood in early monasticism, right? Anthony wasn't a priest. Um, St. Macarius was by fluke um, in that he was ordained before he went, but he wasn't ordained a priest because of his monasticism. It was something that had happened in, in spite of him. So the Abba's rule is to, to, to sallim, right, or to tradition down. This is what was different about our orthodoxy, right, and it's different than Western um, concepts of spirituality, is that we do strongly believe in, in, a, in a, a transmission of faith, a handing down of faith, not an independent practice, right? We don't believe in this my personal savior deal very much in our church, um, is that my, my personal salvation is not ever divorced from everybody's salvation. It's not mine alone. And the same thing is true in everything that we do. That's why we, we sell them everything, right? So I wish that tradition in, in English was a verb. For us, it's not. But in, in the Arabic, it captures it more, is that there's this, this handing down. There's this, it's a traditioning. It's a, it's a verb. It's a process. So the Abba is supposed to go from his depth to hand to somebody else. But when you read the language of the paradise of the fathers or the lives of the early desert fathers or any of them, what you'll always find is that a disciple goes to the Abba and asks a question. Um, Abba, give me a word or Abba, tell me how ought I to deal with such and such. And the response of the Abba was almost always, well, my Abba told me. Like he wouldn't even just start off by saying, oh, let me tell you, right? He would usually start off by saying, well, let me tell you what I received from my Abba um, who said of Abba so-and-so that he never did yada, yada, yada. Um, and so it's really, really, it's interesting to see because what you also will notice as you read more and more is that they're all coming to very similar, if not the exact same conclusions um, independently of one another. Whether you're in the Western Desert or the Eastern Desert, you end up coming out, out with the same kind of knowledge. And this is still how the desert works. Like, that's why even I have trouble lecturing on these things because for me, growing up, I was mostly a Q&A person. Like, it was like, okay, what do I do with this? Whether it's his current disciples today, no one will walk into the monastery and be like, hey, let me tell you about anger, right? Somebody like, hey, tell me, how do I control my passion of anger? How do I talk less? How do I become more humble, right? And they'll say, oh, well, I remember that Abuna so-and-so had this situation. It's very much storytelling. That's why people are very drawn to the desert literature because of the, the amount of storytelling that's in it because it's one of the best ways to transmit knowledge. So the Abba is the father and the Abba receives it through his experience and he's received that tradition from hopefully the, the fathers before him when they've existed. Um, and where they don't, they have answers for that because even in that the disciples will ask, well, what happens if I can't find an Abba? And they give instructions for that. And so if you wish, the... Um, the, the, spe the, the, the Abba or the desert, we see them as the specialists, right? When you want to, if your kid is sick, um, like your four-year-old is sick, you're not going to just go to some random doc when it's getting serious. You're going to go to the specialist um, who's pediatrics because you want to make sure it's somebody who actually understands the specific case extremely well. You're just going to feel more comfortable with them. This is what we find in the desert. So the desert is where you find the specialists of virtue and the specialists of fighting sin. And you'll find that any sin that you can think of that you're battling is in the Desert Fathers, right? The Desert Fathers talk a lot about fornication because they fornicated, right? Like people seem to forget that these are real human beings, right? And that their falls and their successes is what produced the volumes of literature. 
So you'll find that they talk a lot about dealing with thoughts, that they deal with anger. As a matter of fact, they might deal with some of these things more strongly than, than, than we do, because when you live in a, in a tiny, close-knit community, right, it's like dealing with your family. You can scream and yell at your family members, but you can't do that to people in public. Right? So they did these things with one another where they fought and they physically fought, right? And they, they laughed and they, they left and they got kicked out. We see like humorous stories. I don't know if you guys know this famous story of I, this one I'll say Abu John the short because St. Anthony didn't mess up like this. But um, <laughs> Abu John had like a, an ego problem at one point um, where he decides that he doesn't need to, to work like the rest of the monks. And so he tells his brother, his brother in the flesh came to be a monk as well. Um, and he goes, I am going to be like the angels who praise God day and night. Um, so I'm going to head off um, to the side and I'm going to um, take care of myself. So uh, do what I told you, you know, take care of your baskets and like all that jazz. So he leaves and nobody goes to send him food. And so he waits and waits and waits thinking at some point someone's going to offer him food and, and nobody does. So eventually he leaves his cell, goes to his brother's cell and he's like, no one sent me food. And he goes, no. He's like, he goes, who are you? And he goes, I'm John. And he goes, who is John? And he goes, I'm John. I'm your brother. And he's like, no, no, my brother became an angel. Um, and so to tell him, like, who do you think you are, right? So, like, there's, there's a lot of, of humor in the desert, right? And, and, and Abba John learned his lesson of that he's not an angel. Um, but so we learn from them these kind of things. And, and, and these things are very applicable to daily life still, right, is that we'll see almost every one of these examples has a living manifestation in the secular world or in the non-monastic world because we're, we're all egotistical um, and we all feel a sense of entitlement and we all think that we're being more holy by doing certain things. So we learn from those things. But what we get from them is how to interpret it, right? If you don't read that anecdote, you don't realize the presumption that's in it. Another person might look at it and think, oh, wow, like that's dedication, good for him, we should support him. Right? But then, but it's like, okay, but that's incomplete. A man ought not to eat if he doesn't work. Right? This is what St. Paul said. So we have to find from them, this, this, the specialists are able to discern. Right? And that's the key word um, of St. Anthony. Right? Particularly is this key word of discernment. Um, of finding the middle way, the royal way in the middle. Someone might say, well, can I use the Bible to acquire my virtue? Right? This is some, like a, sometimes the, the rebuttal to it. Um, and I would argue, no, you can't, um, because the Bible gives you the end goal, but it doesn't give you the means, right? Christ says you need to be meek, but he didn't say how to be meek. He said, learn from me, for I am meek. He's like, just watch me to the best of your ability. We have certain anecdotals to, to help, right? It says, do not judge. It doesn't say how not to judge. It just says, don't judge, right? So we, have, we, we obviously take our principles biblically of, of what it is that we ought to achieve, of what the perfect... Um, man looks like, what the relationship with God looks like, but we can't take enough from it to know how to arrive at those places. And that's why you'll find that all of the Desert Fathers are extremely biblical, right? Like, like even Antony's responses to everything um, is, is spewing, like, um, biblical verses. He's, no, he's got the Psalms down pat, and he talks a lot about the importance of them. But we learn from their experience of how does one acquire the virtues that Christ speaks of. That's why in that section, I won't reread it from yesterday, where he talks about demonic warfare, he's like, okay, let me, let me tell you about my experiences with them, not that I want to be puffed up, 
but that you know that I'm, I'm speaking from experience, that this is the progress, these are the steps that the devil takes, where he's like, first they start with the thoughts, and when they are not able to take you with the thoughts, then they do this, and they do this, and they do this, and it's a comfort to us to see this progression, to understand, oh wow, that's what happened with me, for example. So, we learn from that, from their experience, not from their theory, right? That they're not, they're not sitting there theorizing, they're not sitting there saying, oh, I think maybe the devil does such and such. Like, no, this is what he did, right? And then they discuss it and they come with them. Um, the Abba helps us discern virtues and its source. So, for example, like we said, how do I determine if an action is meek or not? And so here's a story from St. Anthony. It says, at another time while I was fasting, he, being the devil, came full of craft under the semblance of a monk with what seemed to be loaves and gave me counsel, saying, Eat and cease from thy many labors. Thou, alt, thou also art a man and art like to fall sick. But I, perceiving his device, rose up to pray, and he endured it not, for he departed. And through the door there seemed to go, he, there seemed to go out as if it were smoke. So, as a person who is not experienced, if somebody came looking like a, a, a monk, right? Like it's not like the, the devil suddenly appeared in his room. No, he gave the appearance of walking up to him, of just being a monk, just like anybody else, and saying, hey, like, chill, you're overdoing it, right? Most people might be like, you know what, you're right. Have a seat, let's eat and, and drink, right? But we would, we would assume that, because there are other times where Anton does the opposite, right? There are other times that, and we'll go through them, where, in fact, um, Anthony will tell someone to stop praying or to stop eating um, as opposed to continuing in, in, in the labor. But we need to realize that there's a, we need to differentiate something that's right and wrong, that something that has a semblance of good might not actually be good, right? Not somebody coming and telling you to pray more, for example, which is what happens in another story, is telling you the right thing. So we might not know how to def differentiate whether something is done selfishly or selflessly, right? These are the kind of things that we have to be taught how to, how to discern, right? When somebody's volunteering to do a service, for example, are they actually selfish or are they selfless? And what if they're both, right? Because maybe they are both, and actually in most cases, they are, right? So then does the person do it or do they not do it? And if they do it, what are the restraints? And if they don't, then, then what is going to be the harm? And if I put them in, are they going to harm others? Right? These are things that a discerning person has to um, think about. How do I know when somebody's silence is good or not? Right? Because a virtue isn't necessarily always good. Right? Like if you just decide to practice the virtue of silence when your mother and father are screaming at you, right? This is not a wise application of a virtue. Right? They're going to look at him like, yeah, Ahmed Fiat Pudlis, like, no, you need to talk to me because you did this, right? And we need to talk about it, right? So there's a time to remain silent, and there's a time to speak, but how do I know when and in what manner, right? These are the discerning things that they, they, they tell us. Because somebody could be overdoing it, right? So, for example, there's a famous story of um, the arrogant Palestinian monk um, who came hearing of the virtue of Antony. And so he comes to visit the monastery, and what does he find? He finds Antony chilling with the monks, and they're just having normal conversation. They're not praying, and they're not like going. They're not glowing in the dark and doing all the stuff that he thought they would be doing. And what does he do? Is he judges them, right? Like he's just like, oh, this is Antony. 
like this guy is lame right like we have stronger people in palestine i thought this was going to be like the great right that he's the guy that we've heard of from the ends of the earth so this is all internal and so anthony knowing his thoughts because he's a boss um <laughs> just like come here and he was just like so he was uh take your bow and arrow, arrow. and he's like okay dock it um and he was like and release it and he's like tighten it and keep um throwing arrows so he keeps on telling him to do it over and over and over until the guy's just like, no, you can't. You're going to snap it. It's going to snap. It's going to snap. Like, he's worried about his bone. He's like, exactly. That's what happens to the monks. Right? He's like, if you continually tighten them over and over and over, over and over and over, he's like, they will snap. They're human beings. He goes, there needs to be a wisdom um, in how we do this. So he also didn't have them go nuts with, like, all right, guys, like, let's, like, get satellite television and chill. Right? But at the same time, that there's a value in... Um, in community, right? And this is the discernment of somebody who knows the real state of his spirit. Because there's people who will be like, no, 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 you can always do more, so do more, right? But that doing more, um, there's a monk from St. Anthony's who couldn't handle certain things and today took off his monastic garb, right? There's another one who's become an atheist, okay? So overdoing virtue um, is not holy, Right? Overdoing it for doing it other than anything other than the right reason and the right quantity is a hazard. Right? It's a good thing to take your seizure medications when you have seizures, but if you take when you don't, it's toxic. Okay? And if you take too much of it, the pharmacist knew he's coming in, um, then you are going to do even more damage. Right? So we have to be aware of it, and this is what the specialist can see. Right? Is that what is the right remedy? What is the right dose? What is the right context for this? Is this the right therapy for this person in their context? Okay? Or is there um, a better one? The Abba helps us deal with blows and despair. Um, for example, often they would, this is the words of Antony, often they would beat me with stripes. And I repeated again and again, nothing shall separate me from the love of Christ. And at this they rather fell to beating one another. So this was, he was quoting obviously Romans, right? Is that when you see that Antony could discern their lies, right? Is that like, this is where we benefit from them. Is that a person, imagine if you're going to your Abba and just saying, no, like I fell this many times in, in sin, right? Which is to us the equivalent of our beating, right? Is that when we are down over and over, then it's like, yeah, I fell, I fell, I fell. I'm, I'm getting owned here, right? So when you look at Antony, say, okay, he was owned in his own right, okay? So he was falling in a, in a, in a different way. But to Antony, he, he resisted. And how did he resist? He resisted with scripture, right? And what did he do is that he confronted the lies of the devil with truth, right? Is that the devil was trying to make him feel like dude, you're getting owned, right? Like, where's your God now, right? You're the one who's being beat up by me. So a person who doesn't understand the, the, the bigger picture would think, yeah, he is, right? Like an atheist looking at the same scenario would be like, sorry, where's the God part, right? Like he's getting beat up, right? Like this is messed up, right? Whereas he's like, no, this means absolutely nothing. This is a show, right? So yes, I'm physically being beat up, but do you think that this beat-up session separates me from the love of God? No, it doesn't, because the scripture revealed that truth, is that nothing, even hell, can separate me from the love of God. And so we can take courage from that Abba um, in our tribulations, right, when we understand that A, they've gone through it, and B, that it's a lie, that no, I'm not being owned. It might appear to it right now, okay, but in the grand scheme of things, it's not, um, 
as serious as the devil would have us believe. There is a problem, obviously, if we succumb to it or be, we run to our enemy, and then they talk about what happens when you do that. Our Abba will help us to discern the supernatural, right? Because um, how do I know an apparition is from God or not? And this is important because it has a practical level and a supernatural level, is that we do have people who still have people appearing to them. I remember somebody messaging me a, a decade ago or more that Amba Karas um, was appearing to him and teaching him Al-Hayn. Um, and so on the outset, there are some priests that were excited about it, uh, being like, that's so cute, that's so awesome, and like he's learning Al-Hayn from Sayyidina. Um, whereas that's extremely dangerous, right? Because if this isn't Ambakaras, then it's not something holy, right? And that means that somebody is receiving private instruction from Satan himself, right? And that is a problem. And so the, the fathers help us to discern. So like, what is this person like? Are they becoming more arrogant? Or are they becoming more holy? Are they withdrawing from people? Or are they treating people with more love? Because somebody who's receiving something from God, as Anthony teaches us, grows more and more in virtue. They don't grow the opposite of it. They don't become more arrogant. Um, that's why St. Anthony tells us, how often in the desert has he displayed what resembled gold, that I should only touch it and look on it. But I sang psalms against him and he vanished away. Right? And actually, if you read like, the, the way that he, that he deals with it, and obviously he had more apparitions than that, is he's, he's very logical about it. Right? Like when he first leaves the tombs and he sees the plate of gold, he, like, he finds it humorous. Right? He's like, okay, seriously? He goes, somebody happened to be walking in the middle of nowhere where nobody ever is and left a tray of gold. Like he just didn't notice that he dropped a, a tray, like a whole tray and money. Um, and so then and so and then he responds with verses. Right. Because he's like, seriously, dude. Right. But there's a discernment by doing it. But a person who is blinded by their lust or their desire isn't going to think that way. Like, oh, look, God sent me gold, right? <laughs> he wanted me to have money. I thought that I shouldn't, but it looks like I should, right? <laughs> so, like, is that there needs to be this discernment in our minds between the two. Because um, he goes on to say, like, what happens in apparition happens before our eyes. When therefore they come by night to you and wish to tell the future, or say, we are the angels, give no heed for they lie. Yea, even if they praise your discipline and call you blessed, hear them not, and have no dealings with them, but rather sign yourselves in your houses and pray, and you shall see them vanish. For they are cowards, and greatly fear the sign of the Lord's cross, since of a truth and the Savior stripped them and made an example of them with the cross. But if they shamelessly stand their ground, capering and changing their forms and appearance, fear them not, nor shrink, nor heed them as though they were good spirits. For the presence, either the good or evil, by the help of God, can easily be distinguished." The vision of the holy ones is not fraught with distraction, for they will not strive nor cry, nor shall anyone hear their voice. But it comes so quietly and gently that immediately joy, gladness, and courage arise in the soul. For the Lord who is our joy is with them, and the power of God the Father. And thoughts of the soul remain unruffled and undisturbed, so that it, enlightened as it were with rays, behold by itself those who appear. For the love of what is divine and of the things to come possesses it, and willingly it would be wholly joined with them. Which is why, and he goes on to talk about Gabriel in the case of Zacharias and Gabriel in the case of St. Mary, immediately take away the fear, right? And that's what they always say, is that they remove the fear from the person in front of them. Whereas he goes on to talk about how anything demonic brings worry, it brings ella, it brings confusion, it brings some sense of darkness, it brings you unrest, right? It makes people around you feel uncomfortable, 
right? Is that it starts to be like, what is going on with this guy? Like, I don't know, maybe he's holy, but something about him like rubs me the wrong way, right? And that's the person who is more spiritually um, attuned, right? But this is the first person who's teaching us about using the sign of the cross. I mean, today we grew up with the, this Muslim bazooka thing, right? But this is something that was very real to him, right? Because this is what he acquired in his experience in his warfare of what is something that I can use against the devil. That's why even like... For, for me, we talked at the fire last year about the exorcisms. I didn't like this Bismasili business, right, until I saw the sign of the cross being used really effectively because it's a real thing, right? It's not, it's not theoretical. And he discovered this through um, his, his practice of it. And, and you'll see so many stories that will support this through the Desert Fathers, right? That he's like, okay, they're going to come and flatter you. And this is typically what happens to us, is that when someone comes, whether it's demonic or, or the devil using another human being or just human error, the person who flatters you wins over your heart so quickly, right? Whereas a person, again, who knows himself and will come to this whole knowing yourself, will know that there's nothing humble about us, right? Like, and if you think you're humble, you have a problem, okay? Because you're, you're not going to know that you're humble if you're humble. You're going to still perceive in yourself where you lack. But that's why you have the two famous... Uh, Modern, well, one of them is modern, one is not. The one monk who the angel came and taught him how to, uh, did praises with him, went to his spiritual father. His father told him, dude, this is not healthy. And he was like, my spiritual father is jealous, right? So he, he decides to go do his own thing. Um, eventually, the angel, angel convinces him that he's as holy as Elijah, that he should meet him on the monastery wall and jump off to be taken off in his chariot of fire. Falls down, almost dies, luckily repents before. Versus... The other extreme, right, of somebody who is more Antonian in his way, um, who when, the, when an angel of light appears to him and says, Tubak, right, blessed are you, you holy one of God, who prays and fasts and blah, blah, blah. And the monk who's not joking, looks at him, he's like, I think you have the wrong cell. He was like, the monk beside me, he's really holy. Um, and he was like, but you couldn't be meaning me, right? And his humility made the devil vanish like vapor, just like what happened with, with Antony. So the discernment of spirit is so important that you must have an elder. This is something that you won't get um, by your personal experience because it's so easy to be deluded. And if you're deluded in these things, God help you. It is so hard to come back. If you meet somebody who is obsessed with spiritual consolations, the delusion is strong and it's scary and it's very hard to bring them back. There are such things as spiritual consolations, and we'll see them with Antony, and there are such things as, as visions and, and all sorts of things. But these things are never goals, right? And again, these are things that we learn from the Desert Fathers. Okay, this is why we're talking about it, is that the Desert Fathers are the ones who, who expose that to us because it became very normal. Because a person who gets past physical warfare, right, what we call the wars of the left, um, we'll end up getting wars of the right, and we'll talk about those on the, at the fourth lecture. Um, so, how do I determine signs, for example? Because everybody today is obsessed with signs. I think it was a sign. I think it was a sign, right? This happened, right? And then they'll, they'll take it as proof of the thing that they wanted. So there's a famous story of St. Anthony and, and these monks that were like, I wonder if the demons could be the ones who are telling us stuff. So they start their journey to Anthony to ask him that question. And on their way... Their donkey dies. Um, and so they arrive at the monastery and they're having a meal with St. Anthony. And St. Anthony just looks at them and goes, so how was it on the way that your donkey died? Um, and they're like, how did you know? And he's like, the demons told me. 
right? So he gave them a two for one, right? He was like, yes, okay, the, the demons do tell us because that's how I know about your donkey, right? To make it clear to them, yes, that they give useless knowledge. And he talks about the uselessness of the information that they, that they give. For example, he goes on to explain um, about the demons. Again, they are treacherous and are ready to change themselves into all forms and assume all appearances. Very often also without appearing, they imitate the music of harp and voice and recall the words of scripture. So they will use holiness to, to make you think that it's something good. Sometimes too, while they are reading, while we are reading, they immediately repeat many times like an echo what is read, which sounds really annoying. They arouse us from our sleep to prayers, and this constantly, very hardly allowing us to sleep at all. And, which in which case, like I'm saying, Anthony did the opposite. He just slept more, right? He didn't get up and pray like he did in the last story. He was like, nope, time for sleep, and, and was sleep. At another time, they assume the appearance of monks and feign the speech of holy men, that by their similarity they may deceive and thus drag their victims um, where they will need, but pay no heed to them. Oh, this wasn't the right quote, but he goes on to talk about how, um, what their means are, what their mechanism is, right? So he says, they know stuff because they're everywhere, and that gives you the false impression that they're foretelling something, right? So he's like, for example, the rising of the Nile in Egypt is a big deal, right? That was what everybody's livelihood back then and their food depended on. So if the Nile didn't rise, there was no food that year. It was a big deal. So some soothsayer could come and be like, ah, give it two weeks and the Nile will flood. And he was like, no, there's no soothsaying here. He was like, some demon over in Ethiopia saw the major rains, right? And he goes, so the water is filling and it's on its way. It's just a matter of time, right? But to you, it gives this image of, um, of him knowing the future. Uh, my priest in Canada used to give the, a good example of, he goes like, let's say you, like back in the day before emails and, and all of that, when people would have to use snail mail. He was like, imagine you go to apply for a job and you're having your interview, right? You walk out of the room and the person, um, the two people leading, they need to come in. Um, the people um, leading the interview might have decided on the spot together of like, we're going to give him the job. But they're still going to send you the letter and the package and the, and the whole thing. So some tant at your church is like, you're going to get that job, I know. Right? And then the next day you receive the letter. It's not necessarily that she knew the future. It could be very well that the demons told her because they already knew that this happened. Right? They, they're a witness and they're privy to a dialogue that you were not at. And it gives the, the image, right? The devil's all about imagery and show, right? So it gives the show or demonstration of having done something um, prophetic when really there was no prophecy involved, right? And obviously things go awry if they end up changing their mind, right? And he's already said something. But we, we, we learn their, their things. So as we saw from there is that there's other things the devil does, like Sandy's saying, where he'll tell you, pray, Right? And I'll encourage you to pray. Or you might be praying. You know, this happened once um, when I was at the monastery of St. Anthony, where, and I didn't realize it was demonic, where, like, I was leaving St. Anthony's cave after spending some, some time there, and I could hear Tamgid from one end of the mountain to the other. And I was like, oh, that's beautiful. Right? I went to the Abba, and he's like, no, it's not. Um, whereas... There was something else that someone had happened in the cave with people singing, and he was like, "Oh, he's like, oh, you're lucky. Those were the angels and the saints." And like, how does he know, right? But there's they have that discernment, right? And they can discern it in many different ways. So we have to be aware that everything that looks holy is holy, right? And that's so real in our spiritual lives because today I see so many people who become gung ho with their spirituality, right? And they're so excited that they're, that they're into it and they got Jesus, um, and they go hardcore. But they're hardcores without discernment, 
And so the devil will take it to their full advantage. And he'll give them things that they love and they'll be so excited about it. And what he's doing is trying to build you up, build you up, and then slam you against the concrete floor so that you never do it again, <laughs> right? Like that's what he wants. So that you walk away and say, I did the Jesus thing. It's all lies. It's all delusions. It's all in your head. It's all psychotic, right? Because you were doing it solo and you're doing it without discernment and you're doing it without understanding the difference between what is the devil's work and what is God's work. And because of it, you have a salty taste in your mouth and, and you will feel justified in it, right? And so this is why this discernment of spirits, of knowing what is holy and what is not, is absolutely um, essential. Um, and he even goes on to say, don't even believe them when they're telling you the truth. He says, wherefore the prophet sent by the Lord declared them to be wretched, saying, woe is he who gives his neighbor to drink muddy destruction. For such practices and devices are subversive of the way which leads to virtue. As the, and the Lord himself, even if the demons spoke the truth, for they said truly, thou art the Son of God, still bridled their mouths and suffered them not to speak, lest haply they should sow their evil along with the truth, and that he might accustom us never to give heed to them, even though they appear to speak what is true. For it is unseemly that we, having the Holy Scriptures and freedom from the Savior, should be taught by the devil who has not kept his own order, but has gone from one mind to another. Wherefore, even when he uses the language of Scripture, he forbids him, saying, But the sinner said, God, wherefore dost thou declare my ordinance, and makest my, takest my covenant in thy mouth? For the demons do all things, they prate, they confuse, they dissemble, they confound, to deceive the simple." They din, laugh madly, and whistle, but if no heed is paid to them forthwith, they weep and lament as though vanquished. Right? And this is important to realize. Like the, uh, fam uh, an expression my, my father confession in Canada used to use all the time was this, you know, like one drop of cyanide and 99% chocolate. Right? Like as he was like, you have this wonderful, really good thing, but there's one drop of cyanide in it that's enough to kill you. And this is the mechanism of the devil, is that he mixes one monumental lie or one destructive lie in a whole lot of truths. This has been his way since the beginning. Right? Even with Adam and Eve, he spoke mostly truly to them. Right? It was true that the day that they ate of the tree that they were going to die, but not instantaneously. There's a bit of a, of a twist to it. Right? It was true that when they ate of the tree that they were going to know stuff. That was also true. What was not true is that God was jealous of them, Okay, and that he was afraid of them being like him. So he took things that start off with true so that you, you, you feel comfortable with this lie, right? If somebody comes at you with something that's so blatantly bizarre, right, you're not going to give it much thought, right, unless you're like into conspiracy theories, right? But if you're not, right, then it's like this, this sounds bizarre, right? But he says, hey, don't you remember? Like he said this, she did this. And then you said this, and you thought this, and that's true. All those things will be true. And like, it's because of this. And I think, oh, right? And then the damage begins. Either you, you break off a, a good relationship with a friend, right? Or you leave the church, or you hate your priest, or you think your bishop is scandalous. Like, whatever it is, you end up with all sorts of conclusions that cause damage and that grow, right? The devil is not looking for a one-time fall, right? The devil hates your guts, and he wants you dead permanently forever, eternally. He doesn't ever love you. So... We have to be aware of that. The Abba, okay, the, this father, the, the, the reason for this father, the father resolves um, your, your doubt, right? Is that we all have doubt, right? But when we're dying from our doubt, when we see somebody alive in front of us, that becomes a consolation to us, 
right? When there's, because today people seem to think that I need to have my own experience all the time to believe. Why can't I benefit from Abuna Lazarus's conversion, right? Why does Abuna Lazarus's conversion have to be my own, right? I don't need to have St. Mary walk out of an icon to hug me to believe. But it's a comfort for me to know that this modern disciple of Antony had this calling and that he had this, this thing himself. Right? I can only imagine for the disciple who might be dis- like doubting his monastic calling, what it was like to follow him and see Jeremiah come down from heaven to explain scripture to him. Right? Because then it's like, okay, I don't care what I've got or I don't have, I know that it's real because that dude has it. Right? This, is, this is a real benefit. We might not think about it, but it, it is. Because we do have times where we're down. We do have times where we doubt. We do have times where we feel like, is this really for real? Um, that when we see somebody in front of us in whom the spirit is very much alive and that has definite and clear experiences, that that can be a source of, of resolving my doubt is the experience of others. Um, because then you know that there is actually a solution to that thing um, that you're struggling with. We also need this Abba, we need this Desert Father image to have these outside experienced eyes um, looking at us. Right? Is that the, the, the outside eyes can, is the one who can assess us better whether we're overdoing it um, or not. Um, because we sometimes interpret a scenario um, completely um, the wrong way, right? Sometimes we, we are looking at a scenario and somebody does something to us and our interpretation is, oh, this person is um, angry and jealous and lying to me, right? When it might actually be that the person is trying to protect you from something that if you found out would make you go crazy, right? But when you only see things from your scope, Right, from what you see through your very limited experience and from your limited perspective and blinded by your own emotions, you are going to be a lot more prone to misinterpreting the reality of a situation. Right? And you'll hear people say things like that. Like, how else could you interpret this? It's obvious, clearly, blah, 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 blah. And it's with conviction. It's like, well, actually, there's a very simple another explanation. And it is that one. Right? It is actually not yours. But the outside eye helps reveal to us truths about ourselves, and truths about others. In the context of confession, for example, um, especially when a priest has multiple people confessing to them, right? Sometimes they know for a fact that what the person is saying in front of them is wrong, right? Because like, I know because they confessed to me, right? But obviously they can't say that, right? But these outside eyes that are, are, are when you're discipling many people, like Anthony was doing, allows you to understand the reality of it, right? With a much more clear way, with a much more discerning um, I. And it keeps our um, oh, so I was going to use a scenario to contrast like the, the difference um, with of this. So for example, there's a story of these dudes who come to be um, a monk uh, or to become monks and Anthony is like, um, so like where are you at, like spiritually? And he's like, like, do you guys have like love for one another? Like, do you return love for evil? And they're like, no, that's a bit hard for us, right? And they thought like, oh, Anthony's kind. I'm just gonna be real with Anthony, and, and it's gonna be cool. And typically that's the case. And like, okay, well, at least do you not return evil for evil. Like, I mean, if you're not able to turn the other cheek, do you at least like kind of prevent yourself from smacking the guy back? I know like, this is a little difficult, 
right? And he's like, okay, do, do you at least pray for them? That's tough, right? And everything that he asked, they were like, no, no, no. And he was like, he looked at the, the monks, and like, make them some soup and have them go. He was like, <laughs> he was like, sorry guys, like, this isn't for you, right? Versus another monk who fell into fornication, okay? Like he fell into fornication and he was thrown out of his monastery and he comes to Antony crying, right? And Antony raises him to his feet, sends him back to the monastery and says, go back. Tell them, Antony has sent you back. They went back and they're like, yeah, right. Right? You fornicated. There's no way Antony sent you back. Leave. So he leaves again and he comes back to Antony crying. So Antony goes, this is, I mean, Antony hates leaving his monastery, right? Like he left like three times total and by compulsion, except for the martyrdom flink, right? So like, he goes with this person, leaves his monastery, goes all the way back to this other guy's monastery, and he just looks at the monks and says, just a quick anecdotal, and just says, a ship was at sea with a big freight, and a storm happens, and everything is thrown off the ship. With great difficulty, we rescue one of these guys from the sea, from his death, and get him back into the ship. Would you then go and throw him back into the sea? And leaves. Right? Because he's a boss. But, <laughs> <laughs> mic drop. But there is, <laughs> so, but look at, look at the discernment, right? One could look at this and say, okay, this guy couldn't return evil, like wasn't able to return good for evil. You think that's the lesser of it versus this guy who fornicated, right? Like you wouldn't expect that that's the guy that he's going to go and intercede for. You'd expect him to be like, whatever, he's, he's weak, but I can train him. But no, these outside eyes with experience, like, are no, this is not the heart of a monk right here, okay? It's not that I'm mad that he returns evil for evil. It's that he doesn't have the mindset, he doesn't have the heart of Christianity, because a monk is really just a Christian. That's what Abuna Metin Meskin said, and I, I loved it. He's like, a monk is simply a Christian living in the monastery. Nothing else, right? So if he doesn't have this Christian um, principle of, of desire to love, then he's not, he's not going to make a strong monk. Yes, you can fall into sin, no problem. Okay? But if your mind is, is, is wrong, and this is what they're discerning, is the heart of the matter, right? Is, is what we often use as our expression. Is what, is what is the substance of this person? What is his makeup? Is he in the love of God or is he not? And does he have a desire for it? Because a person who does have a desire to love God can fall, no problem, but he'll rise again because he has love. But a person who has no desire to love or who only loves himself is not a Christian, right? A Christian is defined by their love, right? By this, all men know that you are mine, if you have love towards one another. So if you don't, then how are you going to be able to sit in a community of monks where they will drive you mad, right? If you are not even able to think well for them, when your brother comes and like takes your food, you're going to go crazy. You're going to like break the bowl over his head, right? Whereas a person who has love is like, okay, it is not mine to begin with because he has a mindset of, of his neighbor before himself. So the outside experience eyes help us discern scenarios. They also keep our conscience healthy and active. Um, so Anthony says, and as a safeguard against sin, let the following be observed. observed. Let us each one note and write down our actions and the impulses of our soul as though we were going to relate them to each other. He's talking about your sins and mine. And be assured that if we should be utterly ashamed to have them known, we shall abstain from sin and harbor no base thoughts in our minds. For who wishes to be seen while sinning? 
or who will not rather lie after the commission of a sin through the wish to escape notice? As then, while we are looking at one another, we would not commit carnal sin. So if we record our thoughts as though about to tell them to one another, we shall the more easily keep ourselves free from, the, from vile thoughts through shame, lest they should be known. Wherefore, let that which is written be to us in place of the eyes of our fellow hermits, that blushing as much to write as if we had been caught, we may never think of what is unseemly. Thus fashioning ourselves, we shall be able to keep the body in subjection to please the Lord and to trample on the devices of the enemy. Right, so your this this Abba is teaching you how to keep your conscience healthy, right? Because it's easy to become desensitized to your sin, right? And he's like, and and look at how real he is. Like this is what I love about Anthony is that he's he's getting into the root things of of the person, in an obvious way without being fake about it. He's like, no, let's be real here. Who wouldn't we not lie rather than admit our issue, right? Is that not the natural impulse of a person rather than saying, hey, I'm, I'm a fornicator, <laughs> right? Is to be like, no, I was in my room, I was praying, right? And it was like, no, you were sexting, okay? But nobody wants to say that, right? Obviously, right? But so he's saying, okay, so you wouldn't want somebody to know that about you. So he was like, so find a way to reenact that thing, that shame, so that it becomes a safeguard to you. Write it down. Right? I know that even when I write in my journals, like I'm always petrified of like who might find them when I die, right? Because I'm just like, oh Lord, they're gonna find out this about me. Right? But because there's a there's a benefit in writing down these things that we struggle with and to, to write down our experience with it, both the positive and the negative, um, so that we can grow. But again, a person might not know to do that when they're blinded by the sin. This is why you need this Abba. You need this outside person um, to, to help you. Because seeing a person in front of me as holy makes me aware of my lack of holiness. Right? And that's going to be like the, the last talk will be about that. Right? When you're in the presence of somebody um, righteous, it helps you become aware of your own unrighteousness. And it keeps me from being careless. Right? If I see somebody at that attentive... Right? I might not be at that person's level, but it'll help me at least strive for a little higher um, than where I am at, of being like, man, I didn't think that was a big deal, whereas to this guy, like, this is like a big musiba. Um, and it also helps protect me from looking back, right? Like the famous monastic adage of he who puts his hand to the plow ought not to look back. But that's true of our Christian lives as well. When I've decided to, um, to be on the pursuit of virtue, it's easy to look back when I fall. Right? Whereas when somebody's like, no, 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 falls are normal, just don't leave, um, it's encouraging. The Abba relieves our suffering. Right? Everybody is happy to look at Anthony. It's repeated multiple times in the life. Is that just looking at him became a source of, um, comfort, of comfort. When someone comes to, them, to, to Abba Anthony to be healed of their diseases, obviously that brings joy. Right? And not just the physical diseases, but our spiritual diseases and our, and our, our ups and our downs. When somebody comes who's just in a, in a bad place and sits with them, like when I sit with Abuna Lazarus, it's enough to just chill. He doesn't have to talk about something holy. I'm just going to be in a good mood by simply being in his, in his presence. But add to it when the person speaks the words of, of life. Right? While Antony thus was speaking, all rejoiced. Right? And look at the impact it has of being in the presence of somebody, of a real holy man, okay? in the presence of, of the Abba. This is who, what your Abba should look like. Um, all rejoice. In some, the love of virtue increased. In others, carelessness was thrown aside. In others, self-conceit was stopped. And all were persuaded to despise the assaults of the devil and marveled at the grace given to Antony from the Lord for the discerning experience, 
of, of spirits. So their cells were in the mountains like tabernacles filled with the holy bands of men who sang psalms, loved reading, fasted, prayed, rejoiced in the hope of things to come, labored in almsgiving, and preserved love and harmony one with another. Right? So whatever state people were at, they were raised. Right? Simply by being with him. Whether it was somebody who was already righteous, they became more righteous. Somebody who wasn't, became righteous. And, and think about these people who are becoming monks. Right? This is a new thing. You've got to remember that. This is not a thing like now. It's like, oh, maybe you should be a monk. You've got these personality traits. Maybe that's for you. No, that didn't exist. Right? So they were so moved by this man that they were like, I'm going to leave whatever I'm doing because I want that. Whatever it is you're doing, there's something good about you. I want to be that. Right? This is the most compelling testimony of all. Right? Is that this person's joy and ability to discern is enough that people are willing to just get up and leave everything that they know, right, to something that didn't exist. Just like the early disciples. I can't imagine what it was like for Peter to just get up and leave his boat and follow him, right? Like it's, it's a really, it's a bizarre thought. We talk about it casually today, right? But can you imagine being at the mall and some dude coming up to you and just being like, follow me, <laughs> right? And then you just do that forever, right? Like this isn't like a week or two and it's like, like not even go by to your parents, right? It's just like, okay, right? So clearly there's a deep charisma, right, in this person. And Anthony radiates the face of God, my view. Um, and that's why people were able to get up and leave and make those decisions um, that on a, on a secular, very human level are absolutely ludicrous and, and insane. I know my parents would have had a heart attack if I did that. Um, with some, he, he says, with those who suffered, he sympathized and prays. Um, and in another, like he's, he comforts those who are mourning, the joy with those who are joyful. Um, and was able to find in people what they were struggling with. I just didn't want to read all of the quotes because I don't want to overdo it so that we have time for some questions. Um, Yeah, I'm going to skip this one. And they, they bring our minds back to God. Okay? Um, this was the advice he gave to those who came to him. And with those who suffered, he sympathized and prayed. And oftentimes the Lord heard him on behalf of many. Yet he boasted not because he was heard, nor did he murmur if he were not. So not everything he prayed for happened. Okay? Um, when they did, he didn't boast. When they didn't, he didn't get angry. But always he gave thanks to the Lord and besought the sufferer to be patient and to know that healing belonged neither to him nor to man at all, but only to the Lord, who does good when and to whom he will. The sufferers therefore used to receive the words of the old man as though they were a cure, learning not to be downhearted, but rather to be long-suffering. And those who were healed were taught not to give thanks to Anthony, but to God alone. Okay, a man of God is a Christocentric person. Okay, a man of God is somebody who has his eyes very locked on Christ. It will never be on himself. And if you find that the person is, is mostly, I don't mean speaking of their own experience as a negative thing, that, that's necessary because the, the experience is good. But where the person is constantly I, 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 I about everything, or like, I did this because of this, I, I, like it's just, I don't know how to explain it other ways. This, this focus, a person will always just hear the ego coming out. This isn't what the holy man looks like. Right? Is that for him, he was like, I asked. He said, no. Right? But obviously with some sympathy. Right? But it's just that it's, this isn't mine to give. It is not mine to decide whether you'll be healed or not. Right? And that's why even this particular thing is real to Anthony. Because we see Anthony in another situation where he looks at God and he says, well, how come? Right? He doesn't ask the person. He doesn't moan with them. But he says to God, why, 
why is it that there are young people who are dying and that there are old people who are not? And why are there people prospering who are evil and there are people who are in destitution who are good? And the voice of the Lord came to Anthony and said, none of your business. Okay? But, but he dialogued with him in other ways, right? And he wasn't mad at Anthony for asking, right? And then Anthony took this and clearly built an experience with it because when you read some of the sayings of Anthony, you'll find it, it becomes a sermon, Right? Like it turns into something else because he lives with that word for a while and then it becomes real and then he learns it and then he teaches it. But um, a true Abba will bring our mind always back to God. Right? Anthony is always, always focused on the goal. He's never distracted. Right? It doesn't matter what noise is going on in the person's life or in his own life, he brings the person um, back to God. So I'm going to not repeat the HRC aspects of the importance of um, discipleship. That was what I originally intended. Um, but to say that you must, must have a spiritual guide. Okay? If you are guiding yourself, you are the blind leading the blind. You will fall. You will probably get monumentally hurt. Right? And why, why bother with that? Like why intentionally allow yourself um, to get hurt? You need somebody who can discern spirits to you, somebody who can recognize something that's an innovation or not, somebody who can tell you whether you're going too far to the right um, or too far to the, to the left. left. Somebody who can expose you to whether or not you have a whole lot of self-trust um, in yourself because this is the most common thing. Um, I think in our generation, this is the do-it-yourself generation, right? Is that we really think that we know how and you don't, right? Without grace, you are nothing, right? That's why even Anthony's approach to, to the demons is never like, yeah, bring it and roll up my sleeves and I'll take you down, right? He's always got one of two responses. My God is big or you don't have authority because of my God, but it's always about his God. It's never about himself. So you need that person who can protect you from harm, um, and that is willing to bear your weaknesses. I'll give maybe just one story that we had used from there, which was from Saint, we'll do a shout out to Saint Macarius, we'll allow him one good story, um, where there's a story of Saint Macarius and the devil is doing his rounds um, of temptations and, and he comes to Saint Macarius boasting. Um, and he was like, Abba Macarius asked him, so how are the fathers? Um, which is very humble of Macarius. Um, and so the devil's an idiot. So the devil's like, he goes, I have a particularly good friend. Um, and he was like, who lives out over there? And he goes, he does anything I want. Um, he's like, I, just, I don't even have to beg him. Like, I just have to be like, hey, why don't you do this? And, and he does it. So Macarius obviously is very worried for him. Macarius is known as the compassionate one. Macarius is not as compassionate as Anthony, but he's compassionate. But um, so Macarius is like, hmm, hmm, hmm. So he goes to visit the, the brother. And he goes to the monk, he's like, so how, how goes it with you? He's like, everything's good by your prayers, right? Which is typically how, how we are. It's all good, I just pray for me. It's good, right? Meanwhile, I feel like Belewi, right? So <laughs> he says, oh, really? And he's like, yeah, everything is good. Yeah, I can have some shay, right? So he was like, oh, he's like, everything is like, there's no struggles, there's no major temptations. No, it's all good. And he's like, oh, you're lucky. He was like, because Macarius is very old at this point. He goes, you're lucky, because, you know, I'm old. Um... And I'm struggling. Like, you know, sometimes I have lust. 
And so the monk's like, actually, no, me too. <laughs> right? Um, and then he was like, oh, really? Because, you know, I also I have a problem judging. I just, you know, it, just, it happens. He's like, me too, Alba, me too. <laughs> right? And so he skillfully brought out of this guy his confession. He goes, but then he was like, but you know what I do? You know, when I'm overtaken by lust, I do this. Okay? When I'm overtaken with judging, I do this. When I'm jealous of my neighbor, I think this or I pray this. So he gave him the remedies. And so whatever period of time elapses when Macarius is, is walking, the devil comes by and he's like, so how did it go? Um, and he was like, he was like, that friend of mine became my worst enemy, right? Is that by, by this skilled father, right? Exposing to him to his, his sins, praying for him. And because of his prayers, I think this is why God allowed him to know um, these things, right? He was able to save a soul. Imagine if this monk had just been left to his own device and saying, Manishmahanamani, he didn't ask, he doesn't care, right? That person would have suffered and died. But we need to have that outside um, voice um, that protects us from ourselves, protects us from the enemy, protects us from deceit, um, and saves us from a multitude of woes that might beset us. Um, I can send out the notes from the HRC talk about how to choose your spiritual father and the importance of discipleship if people are interested. Um, and if not, no worries, but we can open it up to uh, questions now. If there are questions or leftovers from yesterday as well. Well, first, the discerning of calling, you're going to need that all before, right? Because anybody can attain perfection if they are in their proper calling. So if your calling is to monasticism, you can achieve perfection in monasticism or celibacy. If, you're, if your calling is in marriage, you can achieve perfection in marriage and not lesser, right? And all the virtues that one sees and a monastic can actually be seen in a married man if, they, if that married man or woman, I shouldn't just say men, if both of them are interested in the pursuit of perfection. So God doesn't say, well, since I gave you a different calling, I will not endow you with any such gifts. Right? We've heard of sawah, married couples. Right? There are women healers and women exorcists, just like the male healers. And male. So it has nothing to do with the garb. It's about holiness, is really what it comes down to. So if he's a strong father... Um, the father should be able, a, a, true, a true guide is never going to want to make the disciple a replica of himself, right? Like, so they're not going to be excited like, oh, this person confesses to me, I'm a celibate, now I want this person to be a celibate. That person is always looking for the salvation of the person in front of them. So they should be looking at like, no, this isn't a celibate, that's not his personality. So how do I help this person through his or her personality achieve perfection where they are? Right? Like, how do they strive for that in the balanced way of, of their own setting? So, that's where the, I think the first question is resolved because that father should already have that discernment. 
right? To not be trying to turn you into that. And then you've got to have the right mindset. But in terms of, of the, the, the gifts, if I'm understanding your second part right, you would want to learn them from them, and, and you could. Like, like there would be nothing wrong with that. Of how to apply them or how to acquire those, you would, you would get from instruction through them. Like, I feel like that one, I don't know if I'm misunderstanding the, what it is. No, I, well, you're not misunderstanding it, but I was saying, like, not in terms of the, the Father misguiding, right, but more of, like, your desire to be like them, like, overtaking your own. Right, but that's what I mean, is that he should have the discernment to stop you from doing that, right? Like, there are many people who enter monastic life and the majority are rejected, right? And they all have good intentions and they all read a book or met somebody that made them want it, right? And actually, typically in the monastic culture, this is changing, unfortunately, a little bit, is we typically don't encourage them, right? Like, we typically are like, no, it's brutal, it's hard, it's not for you. Right? It will even be like, no, you see all this stuff in me, you like it, but you don't realize what it's like. It's like they'll actually try and make a deterrent to see the, the stability of the call, the, the, the firmness of the call, and to see whether the person is willing to withstand that or not. Because if they just flake like that, there's a problem. <laughs> right? like, then they're not going to withstand any kind of temptation because it is a different kind. So um, you know, I think that the Father, you might have that problem as the disciple, but the father should not have that problem of realizing that that's exactly what you're doing and being able to say, no, Habibi, I know you like this because of our friendship, etc. But maybe this isn't for you. Right? Even with Abuna Lazarus, like, I remember him talking to me one time and saying um, he was happy when I took this, like, this service monastic route as opposed to the traditional one, even though I love the traditional one. Right? And I longed to be beside him at his cave. But he was like, no, no. He goes, I tried the service thing. It's not for me. Right? He goes, even when I was a professor, even before I was even a Christian, I was somebody who was to myself all the time. And he's like, but I've known you since you were however old, and you've always had this thing for such and such. And he's like, so you ought to be here. Like, that's me. Like, they, they're not, like, and he knows that I have aspirations and that I'm probably deluded or whatever, but he had the discernment to look at me, knowing me, because I have to know you, to say, no, we are different, right? I'm somebody who loves this. I can only thrive in this. You can thrive in both, so go do that. Right, so that Abba should have that discernment to, to see it. Um, you know how you say that, so there's, you say there's different temptations that, you know, those in the monastic life have, but, I mean, being that even, even them, even they, like, for instance, you're saying, when you're at the monastery, you had these, you know, the devil doing things, you know, trying to tempt you or trying to make you imagine that it's him, or not him, but, so it's like us living... You know, when you hear that, you know, when you hear this about you in, in the monastery and like we're here in the real world, it's like, it just feels like there's like no way to even figure out um, what's what, you know, because there's so much stuff out there. You know, even if you try to live the virtuous life and you do, you, tr you try to do what you can, it's like, I just, is this, I, I think I know the answer to this. Is this where it's going to be like, well, that's where you need the Abba, but I don't know. <laughs> that's where you need the Alba. Yes, you do for that reason, right? But that's why, like, the, the next talk is about spiritual warfare. Because if you live the life of holiness here, you yourself will also start to acquire virtue, right? And you also will start to grow in discernment, right? Is that you will be able, this is why Christ says, My sheep know my voice, right? He doesn't just mean audibly. 
right? He means that a person who knows me, and the only way to know him is to be like him, right? Is a person who will be able to recognize there's something unholy in this, right? There's something not righteous, and that will help you realize things. That's why when we look at Antony, I mean, this I can blabber on and on about this. That's what I'm saying. I love his focus. Because you're going to be distracted by the world and completely unable to figure things out in the world if you don't know who you are and what your goal is, right? If you don't have as a big deal salvation, you will be swept with every wave that comes, right? And you will have no clue what's the devil and what's not. You will be confused. So the guide helps build you and helps discern, but he's also trying to raise you up to become the next generation, Right? So like Anthony is this amazing Abba, but he raised disciples, and those disciples led after them. At one point, they were the idiotic, stupid kid. Right? At another point, they became the new elderly saint, like dripping with oil. Right? So like, this is what happens. Like, there's somebody who teaches you the way so that you stand up on your own feet, and then in turn help the ones that come after. But I might focus on that more in the other lecture. Um, so demons know future things because of communications with other demons. Yes, right? The demons are almost omnipresent, not because they are omnipresent, but in the sense that there's so many of them and they're everywhere. Okay, so yes, they know everything that's, um, that's going on and they take full advantage of that. Can demons know thoughts? What are the limitations and how do we know that? Demons do not know thoughts. Demons can give you thoughts but they don't know your thoughts. Having said that, with like 10,000 years of experience with humans, they can often make a pretty good educated guess of what you're thinking about, okay? So like, if like you are like in some romance and the person's trying to break up with you, I'm pretty sure he knows like what you're thinking about, right? And, and if there's an incident that's happened in front of you, yes, he's pretty aware of that, probably gonna be somewhere near your mind, um, I'll answer the third in a second because if these questions are related to that, then then I'll do those first. Go for it. Uh, sorry, I'm sorry. Uh, anyway, uh, so it's, it kind of relates to this question. Uh, so we look at those fathers, those monks. They had great uh, uh, spiritual guides, but looking at our current world, we, we really don't see those great fathers. Uh, it's harder in the world, but even in the monastery, they're becoming more rare. The person doesn't have to be a monastic, right? But um, actually, in most cases, it, would, it might even be preferable to not be a monastic um, for, for most people. But there is a problem, right? Is that the whole world's level has fall, fallen down several notches, right? So if you find a good person, stick to them, okay? We disciple ourselves to holy people. Spiritual direct or spiritual guides are not always priests, okay? Like, they can be righteous people. I mean, here in the diocese, most of you know Abuna Kurlis, like we've talked a lot about Tan Samira, right? Tan Samira, like, he was the closest, if you want to learn more about her, talk to, talk to him. But even for me, I saw her as a spiritual mother, Right? I saw in her everything that I wanted to be. I saw in her a woman who likes to pray. Right? So I went to her and asked her, how do you do this? What do you do with this? Like, and she was endowed with spiritual gifts even more than many monks that I know. Um, so 
find a person who exhibits the trait that you want. If you can't find everything in one person, no problem. Well, you can do what Anthony did at the beginning of his life, which was go to the outskirts of the city and find the people who live, and that each he took a virtue from each one of them, right? Like, I remember sometimes even in lecture in college, like, just sitting there in those breaks of hearing people's conversations where I'd be very moved by some of the things people said, where, like, some girl might be having a, a quote-unquote messed-up life, but she's talking about what's going on. I'm just like, Lord, I have no patience compared to that girl, right? Like, I would have gone nuts. Like, I don't know if I would have believed in you if I went through all the stuff that she just went through, right? So I can learn perseverance and endurance and patience from somebody who didn't even intend to teach me that. Right, So learn how to acquire the spirit of discipleship and you will find that God gives you grace. God will give you grace even at the hands of a horrific priest. Because even look at the story of Samuel, right? When, when God was calling him, Samuel didn't know that it was God. He kept on getting up being like, where are you? And there's like, he's like, I don't know what's going on. So it, who was it that discerned the voice of God for him? A rotten priest. And what was the first thing God told him? He's going to die. Right? Like, so even though this was a person who wasn't an incredibly um, virtuous man, I mean, Eli had his faults, but he also had some good, um, but God still gave him the grace. So I would say focus on acquiring the spirit of discipleship, and God will always, always provide. I have never lacked for a teacher, right? And when I did, he still spoke. Right, whether it's through the books or through the bishop or through a monk, there is always a voice because he who seeks will find. That's a promise of God. Right? So acquire, don't have a negative approach of woe is me, there are none holy, not one, as David says, right? Um, but instead have some confidence um, that the Lord cares about you and wants you to grow. Right? What, he's not going to be mad at you for wanting to grow and not provide you with it, but you must seek to be a disciple. Because the humility of discipleship is what will protect you from all these dangers that we've talked about. That's why that famous quote of Anthony, I saw all the snares of the devil and I groaned within myself and said, Lord, who can pass this? And he heard a voice saying, it is humility, right? Discipleship is humility and it protects you from the snares of the foe because you put no confidence in your own righteousness, but rather in the grace of, of God. No. Spiritually? Never assess. that you advise for us to do? Never. Never, never, ever, ever assess. Okay? To assess, you're putting values and we don't have values. Okay? To assess puts your focus on the wrong thing. Right? You start, once you start measuring, something has gone wrong. Just like even with, with temptation. When someone's like, hey, I didn't do this particularly bad sin for 10 days now. On a secular level, cool, you set a record. On a spiritual level, it worries me. It means that you have in your mind a mentality of markers or milestones. If you're setting a record, what do we do with records? We break them, right? Which means that there's almost in it a, a, an acknowledgement of, of falling. But what we're going to talk about with St. Anthony um, in the next lecture is the focus on the now, not on anything else. The only thing, if you're ever going to measure, ever going to measure anything in spiritual life, then just measure what is the time interval of how long it takes for me to stand up again after I fall. If you want to measure something, just measure that.
but don't measure amount of falls, amount of successes. And if you get into an attitude of, of, of assessing, you're going to start comparing either to others or to your past. And when you do that, you're going to forget that you're in a different place in your life than you were in your past. And so you might have despair when actually you're where you should be, right? So it's, it's not a healthy, in my view and experience and from what I receive from my teachers, none, like all of them have explicitly said do not. In all of my readings, they, they don't. There's a, a, a value in self-evaluation at the end of the day of saying what went well, what didn't. There is a value in that, okay? But I wouldn't evaluate my spiritual life nor would I look for fruits. We are, good in, we are, good, we are useless and pro, unprofitable servants we have done that which is our duty to do, as a safer um, mentality. How different is the spirit or the mind of discipleship in the world versus the monastic tradition? Because sometimes, like for example, John Cromacus, when he speaks about the spiritual father or the abbot, he goes to the, end, to the extent of saying, like, you really ought to obey him even more than your inclination to obey God sometimes. So there is that, like, um, total measure of like self-renunciation, but how does that apply to us, or how do we learn as people living in the world from that, with that mindset, but without necessarily um, carrying the letter of what he said word for word towards like a spiritual guide or a spiritual father? Right. I went to Lazarus freaked on me one time for wanting to apply perfect obedience in a secular world, not to people, like I wasn't a priest, it was, an, it was with my father confession at the time. And he was like, no. And it was emphatic. He almost yelled. He was like, you are not a monk. Um, and so, like, I'm glad that you, you brought that up because that was in part of the, the lecture that we're not doing. Um, perfect obedience is for monastics, okay? But it's also voluntary, right? Is that the, the idea in the monastic community is that you have identified the Abba that you want to telmas to, 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 to become a disciple to. And so if you want to become like him, then know you owe perfect obedience because he might be training you in a virtue and things that they want you to do are nonsense, right? So like, I mean, watering a stick. I'm sure John the Short wasn't an idiot, right? Like I'm sure he was quite aware that this is weird, right? But he's like, it doesn't matter. I know that whatever it is, he wants to teach me something. He wasn't a simpleton, right? But because there's that kind of milieu under it, it works. In the world, what I would say is that you owe obedience, obviously, um, in the Lord, right? Which is what even we're told about our parents. So if something is against your conscience, if something is not biblical, if your spiritual father says, go and tell them, like expose the secret, no. If that hurts your conscience, then you don't do it, right? Because you, 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 that would be violating somebody's trust. You'd be doing something wrong, okay? But at the same time, that there needs to be a strike of this balance. And I, I, I'm saying this because I struggle even with now as a spiritual father, where somebody has asked advice and doesn't do it. Right, and so you see them getting more and more into a problem, and so it's like, okay, I'm not trying to control you, but you're being an idiot, okay? So like, are you gonna listen to advice or not? Because if you don't want the advice, then why are you asking? Okay, so that's like you have to balance of like, well, when I ask advice, am I willing to act on that advice? Think of somebody who has hired a personal trainer, right? Because they want to be an Olympian. So if you've hired a personal trainer, and then every time that the trainer gives you an exercise. You're like, I'm not doing it, I'm not doing it, I'm not doing it. I don't do this, I don't like this, this is uncomfortable, this is hard, this is tiring. Okay, good luck to you, right? So there needs to be a balance. At the same time, that trainer, right, should be listening to the trainee when, when the person is clearly trying, right, and just says, this one's too hard for me. 
like this exercise that you're giving, it's not working for me. I'm not able to do it, right? Then that trainee needs to be like, oh, okay, no problem. What is it that you're struggling with? Okay, then how about we try this, right? So in this secular environment, it's going to be a give and take, okay? There should be the intent to obey, okay? But definitely that guide should not become a brainwasher, right? Definitely that guide should not be controlling your life, making your decisions, telling you what job to take and what job not to take, what car to buy, what house to buy, whether you're going to move away. Like that's, that's a diseased relationship and that's becoming common, okay? And that's dangerous and I would not like to see anybody there. But this obedience is supposed to be a spiritual obedience, not a secular obedience. So it should not be like when someone, someone got mad at me once at HRC or uncomfortable saying like, should I buy this car or this car? I'm like, I don't know. I'm like, which one do you want? <laughs> right? And it was just like, no, I'm asking, I'm asking the word of God. And I'm like, I don't know if God cares about that. Like, I, I'm not being sarcastic. I, I just don't know. Maybe ask the Abuna who knows about cars because I don't. <laughs> right? So like, but because there's become this mentality because that's a monastic thing, right? Because in a monastic culture, my, my spiritual father should know how much salt I put on my rice. Okay? It's a completely different environment. Right? In the monastic culture, everything ought to be known because the intensity and kind of warfare is different. Right? And so for that reason, you really do need that level of, of attention and care. But again, the, the bigger part is identifying the father first. Right? Like as I said, like Anthony was identified. He didn't project himself. Is that, that you should already see in that father what you want to acquire so you ask them, and if you've approached it that way, you're already going to listen to him, right? Because like, like to me, if, if Buddha Lazarus instructs me on anything, I'm going to do it, right? Even, even if I hate the advice, even if it's uncomfortable, I'm going to do it. Because I already see in him, I'm like, he's successful, right? I want to be like that. So it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a spirit, but that's, those are the two extremes of it. Um, what is a good bu book to start knowledge on spiritual warfare? Um, that's a good question. There are so many. Maybe this year, can I send a list of recommended reading um, to to post? I'll post. There's a whole bunch, and I'll categorize them on on different um, concepts and ideas because there's there's hundreds of of books. I won't send hundreds, but it'll be easier to send that. We're good. Okay, thanks a lot, guys, and glory be to God for everything.